All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Well, hello, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you at all of our locations on this Father's Day weekend. And if you're a dad, especially glad you're here, I want to say thank you for all that you do to love and serve your family. It is my prayer that, that this weekend you would feel God's blessing and anointing upon you, His favor on you as you follow His leadership. And that as you gather in your family settings and you interact with your loved ones, that you would feel their love and His love. We're grateful for you and just want to say happy Father's Day. Now, this is Father's Day weekend, but it is also week three of our Acts Church on Fire series, where we've been looking at how the church, as they sent people, became part of a movement that changed the world. And we saw last week that after Jesus went back to heaven, the church was born. When it went from a group in hiding to a people on mission, a people empowered by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that Spirit sets the church on fire. And if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have that same Spirit within you. And that's amazing. Now, before Jesus left, he gave some instructions about how to live and how some of this would happen. And, and it kind of reminds me of my time in the military. See, when I was in the army, whenever a leader left its unit, left their soldiers for a period of time, they would give what was called a contingency plan. So, for example, whenever I would take my, my platoon on a patrol and I was going to leave to maybe go do a reconnaissance of an objective, I would leave a contingency plan with the leadership behind and the rest of the soldiers that were there. And every time that contingency plan contained certain elements that we remembered with the acronym GATWA. It's a great word. It's not a real word, but each letter represents part of the contingency plan. So G-O-T-W-A, GATWA, was the contingency plan. And so we knew we could start with the G saying, okay, this is where I'm going. G was where I'm going. The O was for others I was taking with me. T was for the time that I would be gone. W was for what to do if I don't return by that time. And A was for actions we would both take if we, either one of us encountered the enemy. It was a great format, a great contingency plan to be used all over the place. And listen, dads, I encourage you to use this. Use it with your family, use it with the kids of all ages. Just think about it. Where are you going? Who's going with you? What time are you going to be back? Here's what's going to happen if you don't get back by that time. And here's the action we'll take if we both run into trouble. This is great. A great way to organize and plan and have contingencies. Now, but listen, the reason I share it with you is because Jesus, in a way, left his own contingency plan. In his last conversations with his disciples, he left a contingency plan, at least a bit of one. And it's recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and this is what it says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria 
and to the very ends of the earth. Now, we've looked at this a couple times in our journey so far, but I want to just highlight two words. One is the word receive, and the other is the word be. These are essential to receive power. We need to receive power in order to do what God wants us to do. We can't do this thing right here without that power. So we need to receive power, ultimately, to be his witnesses. Now, that word for witness, the root word, is the same root word that we get the word for martyr. But we need to receive the power in order to be the witnesses for Jesus he wants us to be, to be his ambassadors, to be his representatives, to really be the church and to be his people and do everything he asks of us. In fact, we know that as we've been talking, that everybody needs Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Because inherently, we were created for intimacy with God, made in his image. But he is a holy God, and we are a sinful people. And God in his holiness can't hang around in sinfulness. But he loved us enough that he sent his son Jesus to live and die and rise again to pay the penalty for our sin, to pay a debt we could not pay. So that if we believe in our heart and profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we have salvation and we can be saved. It's an amazing thing. It's a gift by grace, unmerited favor, that a God, God the Father, would send the Son, who in turn would send the Holy Spirit. So God the Father sent the Son, and the Son imparts the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit lives in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that's awesome. Because here's the thing. We are not just saved to be saved. Ultimately, we're saved and positioned to live sent because everybody needs Jesus and we're positioned to be a people who point to Jesus and lead others to Jesus in a relationship with God but the challenge is that there's another gap this is a relational gap it's a religious gap gender gap race gap there's all kinds of gaps in our world and we as the church have the privilege of building bridges so that these people can cross into a position through that relational bridge or whatever that bridge is and make the decision on their own to cross that spiritual bridge into relationship with God. This is, this is why we're still here. We're not just saved to be saved, we're saved to be sent. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us do that. This is a difficult place to live. It's a, it costs us, it's sacrificial, it's, it's demanding, it's heartbreaking but it's essential. And the Holy Spirit, in a way, sets us on fire as the church to be witnesses, to receive power and be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the very ends of the earth. This is what God positions his church to be and do. And one of the cool ways that he's working specifically within the heritage family is in the Vida Nueva expression of our church, and in the Esperanza Center project. I love that we are now in possession of the Erickson School building, and we've begun the transformation to the Esperanza Center, the Hope Center. Just this past week, I want to show you a few pictures. More than 80 people gathered from all over our heritage family to begin the process of, of transforming that facility into a, a hope, a center of hope, the Esperanza Center. And, and so they're laboring co together and, and working together so that we can build more bridges so that this can happen. 
And if you're wanting to track progress, you want to sign up for projects, even know how to pray, check out pictures, or support the vision financially, I want to encourage you to go to heritageqc.com and just click the Esperanza banner. and It'll take you to a whole website that we're just going to continue to update and put new information on. But that is an exact reflection and expression of this concept, that this is what God is doing. He's positioning us to build these bridges so that more people can know him and live in relationship through his son, Jesus Christ, saved and sent. But here's, here's one of the realities about that whole thing, that until we care more about others than our own comfort, we're out of step with God. That's your first feeling if you're following along in your sermon note guide, that until we care more about others than our own comfort, we're out of step with God. God knows and understands the hardships that we experience. He knows our pain. He knows the struggles we have. He does not ignore them. That is why he sent Jesus. It's why Jesus emptied himself. It's why Jesus left the comfort of eternity. He entered into time to experience pain, and ultimately death on a cross so that you and I can have life. But then to turn around and ask us to live in the same way. To die to self and then live in a manner where others can experience that same new life. Many of us have done that first part. We've heard the story of Jesus. We, our heart has been broken. We've repented. We've found salvation. We have a relationship with God. And we have experienced that saved reality. Many of us have done that. But not all of us have done this. But this is what he calls us to do. <laughs> and if all we do is live saved, we don't ultimately live sent as long as we are here, life feels incomplete. The spiritual journey feels inadequate. It doesn't make sense. It actually feels like something's missing. And we can turn around and blame God for that instead of looking at who we are and how we're actually living. To only do one and not the other doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like the two guys who worked for the city and they went out one day, and one guy would dig a hole, and the other would fill it. They would dig a hole and then fill it. And they would do that down one side of the street, and then they'd go to the other side of the street and come back, digging a hole and filling a hole, digging a hole and filling a hole. Then when they finished the street, they'd go to the next street. And they kept going nonstop, no breaks, just working very diligently. It was impressive, so much so that a passerby saw them. He was impressed with how hard they worked, but he didn't get what they were doing. So he stopped the guy who was digging the holes. He said, excuse me, sir. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm, it's very impressive how hard you are working. Uh, it's, it's amazing, but I just don't get what you're doing. Why in the world are you digging a hole only to have your partner come along and behind you and fill it? And the man paused, and he, he wiped his brow, and he leaned on his shovel a little bit, and he said, well, I suppose it does look a little bit odd, because normally we're a team of three, and the guy who plants the trees called in sick today. Ridiculous, right? Dig a hole, fill a hole. But look, it's the same kind of thing that happens when you and I understand salvation. We know new life through Jesus Christ with God. We end up being saved and we stop. And we never live sent. It's like doing two out of three. But this is why we're still here. This is why God doesn't suck us to heaven so fast it creates a vacuum on the earth the moment we receive salvation. <laughs> it's because we're to be sent. He, none, he wants none to perish. And this imagery, this, this diagram, helps us understand the situation that we live in and ultimately then to know what to do out of who we are. But honestly, I think we can struggle to understand the situation and to know what to do. But we don't have to. We can understand how God is working and know how to step in and join him in that. We can be like the men of Issachar 
You're familiar with Issachar? Issachar is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in 1 Chronicles, they're described this way. As men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Listen, we need more people like that. Who because of studying the word, because of prayer, because of their relationship with God and their posture towards living sin, understand the times and know what to do. We live in a world that is very complex. It's dark. It's brutal. Whether you're talking about beheadings or shootings, whether you're talking about the exploitation, oppression, and abuse of people of all ages, people made in the image of God. Man, our world is full of heartbreak and hardship. All you have to do is look most recently at the shooting in South Carolina. I look at that and I go, what? But then I know and understand that we live in a world where God is seeking to redeem all people. And by the power of the Holy Spirit through the church, we can facilitate something different. You may struggle to understand the times, and you may know not what to do yet, but you can. By the power of the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit is counselor and teacher and guide. So the Holy Spirit, empowering the church, positions the church to live in this world with wisdom and power, understanding the times and knowing what to do. If we would just be willing to do that in the manner he calls us. We're supposed to do that in his power, apart from our comfort, sacrificially, just as Jesus did. Because the church is, the church is not a building or a place. The church is a people, a people called out with a purpose beyond themselves. In fact, the word for church in scripture is ecclesia. Ecclesia, say that with me, ecclesia. That's the church, and, and the literal definition is this, a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. The reality of a people called out of their comfort, out of their home, into a public place for a greater purpose, for something beyond themselves, that is the church. And the word ecclesia is used only once in the Gospels. It's used in Matthew once, but the concept of the church is all throughout the, all four Gospels. And it clearly permeates the entire New Testament. And as a people called out, as a people set on mission, as a people positioned, saved, and sent, we do that together. And the reality is that as the church, as the ecclesia, we are more together. We are more together than we are apart. More together than we are apart. In fact, let's do this. Turn to somebody at any of our locations. Turn to somebody and say, we're more together. You don't have to know who they are. Just turn to them right now and say, we are more together. Tell them, we are more together than we are apart. Listen, that's the church. The church, we're not designed to live as lone rangers. We're, we're, we're supposed to be part of spiritual friendships. Without them, we are vulnerable. We need meaningful connection and significant relationships. Those make us more. Without them, we're less. We are more together than we are apart. J just picture a, a campfire. When you push all those coals together and you have them in a pile, what happens? Those babies burn, man. Heat comes off of them. They go for hours. But you take one of those coals, doesn't matter what size, doesn't matter how hot it is, you take one of those coals and you pull it off to the side, what happens? Yeah, it's only a matter of time before it goes out. We are more together than we are apart. 
And as Romans 14, 7 reminds us, none of us lives to himself alone. And the Bible repeatedly talks about the importance of community and uses the analogy of the body most often. And here's an example out of Ephesians 4. From him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work, where there's digging and filling with planting in the middle. We all have gift, talents, and abilities. We're all been positioned as part of this body to live out our part, to build the bridges that are in front of us, and to be the people sent. And when each part does its work, well then, Jesus is able to do things well beyond us. We are more together than we are apart. And we talk as a church in three specific ways about how we do that thing of life together. I'd like to walk through them for just a moment. Many of you are familiar with them. The first is the reality that we live loved. This is the reality that we are created for intimacy with God. This reflects an upward orientation, vertical orientation. It's reflected in spiritual disciplines, in worship and in prayer. It's the place where we recognize we gather to worship and praise the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's the reality that God loves us and therefore we can love him in return. We live loved. But we don't just love him. If we truly love him, we will love others. And that leads us into living linked. We seek and strive to live linked. This is our horizontal expression. We are created for, for healthy relationships with one another. And there's this element of inwardness that as a family, we connect to one another. And we build each other up, that we're iron sharpening iron. And so we connect in groups and we, and we walk through this discipleship journey together and we allow each other to rub against one another, to transform us and allow us to look more and more like Jesus Christ. It is the horizontal place that we do life together. But we don't just live loved and live linked. Ultimately, that leads to living sent. This is the outward expression of who we are as a church, that we live on mission, that we build bridges using our time, talent, and treasure. We make bold moves that position us to be used by God for His glory and the rescue of other people. We need all three of these realities to live loved. And in some ways in this diagram, we can say that's kind of over here that we live loved. And, and over here is the expression, obviously, of living sent. But the reality is that as the church, we're more together than we are apart, so we live linked together in relationship. And as we live linked in relationship, we gather together and we worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, but we also turn around and we live sent and on fire so that more people can step into relationship with him and he is glorified. This is the reality of what the church should be. And until we care more about others than our own comfort, we will be out of step with God. You know, we're not the only ones to live this way. The early church lived this way too. And I'd love for you, if you've got a Bible, to grab it and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen in a moment. It'll also be in your sermon note guide. Acts chapter 2, the very end of that chapter, we get a picture into how that early church functioned, what it looked like. We're starting in verse 42, and I just want you to listen and follow through and try to look and see where you see love linked sent in what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know what that first century church did was, it was daily, it was joyful, and it was simple. Yet everything else we read about the early church, its power and its impact, all comes out and flows out from this foundation. A foundation of studying God's word, of fellowshipping together, of remembering the work of Jesus on the cross, and prayer. Those four things are key foundational realities, evidence of life and health in the, in the church. It, it reveals a oneness and it reflects living loved and linked and sent. In fact, here's something for you to consider doing later today or sometime this week, but to sit down alone or with your spouse or with your family and walk through this scripture and see if you can just highlight, circle, underline things that reflect living loved and linked and sent. It's a great way to study scripture, to sit down and look at it and start to extract and pull it apart and highlight so that we can understand more fully how we live as a result. It's not just to be read to be read. We read it to understand how we now live. And I encourage you to consider doing that because within these verses, what's, these activities that are recorded here in Acts 2 are essential for church health. The church is to gather to worship. The church is to gather to study God's word, but it is also for so much more. God wants us to share our lives with one another. And if we just follow the examples of our early brothers and sisters, God will take care of developing his church. He's the one who adds. He's the one who grows. Our job is to listen and obey, to be a people who live in oneness because our oneness matters. As a church, we share the same Lord. We share the same spirit within us. Therefore, we share the same power we have the same roadmap, scripture. We have the same mission of building bridges so more people can know Jesus. Our oneness matters. And it was, it was actually Francis Schaeffer, a theologian, who said this. He said, we cannot expect the world to believe that the Father sent the Son, that Jesus' claims are true, and that Christianity is true, unless the world sees some reality of the oneness of true Christians. Our oneness matters. Our willingness to sacrifice for the good of others and, the, and to be willing to invest in seeing the kingdom of God advance in all places matters. It's essential. And I love that as a church, we're willing to do this. In fact, it was about this time last year that we became aware of a church that was just in a struggling season. It had been a larger church of about 2,000. It's part of our, our tribe, one of our sister churches. But through some hard times, they've dwindled to about 500 and we were able, with an Acts 2 attitude, to come alongside and help. And so we sent, on our behalf, John and Patty Bray, to that church in Michigan to love and serve, where John would serve as the interim pastor. And since August of last year, God has done an amazing thing through the generosity of our church. Our willingness to invest beyond ourselves, to give up comfort to a degree so that more can know Jesus. It's been so impactful that we have a video expressing thanks from that church. I'd love to show it to you. The beginning is from a few of the lay people, but then it ends with the new senior pastor, Shannon Waples, just expressing his own gratitude and thanks. So why don't you just check this out for a moment. 
We do want to say thank you to Heritage especially. John and Patty have been a blessing. Uh, it's hard to count the measure of how wonderful they have been to our church. But we also want to say thank you to Heritage, to every one of you watching the videos, because you made this possible by being unbelievable stewards of God's grace and, and helping to fund at a time when we could not. The pastors that God had absolutely perfectly aligned to come make First West a healthy church again. And so we say to you, God bless you, Heritage, and we thank you very much. It meant so much to us to have John and Patty here at our church. Their message just spoke to our hearts, and it just drew people in and helped our church rebuild and prepare it for Shannon to come. And thank you so much for loaning him to us, and he was, they are just a huge blessing. Thank you. It's been great. Um, the ch changes that have taken place in the church uh, really are a huge gift to us and uh, wouldn't have happened without their leadership and support and really your heart for sending them. So thank you. Thank you. Hey, Heritage, familiar face here to many of you. And I just want to tell you not only how good it's been to reconnect with John and Patty personally, but to tell you again, thank you, that the work that's been done here really has changed eternity and it's all because of your investment. And so from the bottom of our hearts, both Sandy and I's, but also from the hearts of so many leaders and friends here at First West, thank you. Thank you for making a difference in Battle Creek for now and for eternity. God bless. Thank you, God has done a new thing, and First West is growing in leaps and bounds and getting back on track to being a people in that community that make a real difference. And that's an expression of our, an extension of us. And we want to be a church that seeks to give more than we take. And as John and Patty wrap up their time of service there and step into a time of sabbatical as they complete the rest of the sabbatical that they had taken some earlier and are finishing now, I'm having a conversation with John about what follows that, but I want to just take a moment and celebrate what God has done through them and through us, through you, through us as a church family, that reflects a unity and a generosity that God always seeks to use and bless. It's a pretty cool thing. It's really tempting, and, and it's easy to, to want to live postured to take care of our own needs, to, to take care of our own interests, and to maintain our own comfort. Yet when we truly follow Jesus, his love and mission compel us to live beyond ourselves, to invest beyond ourselves. And there's a simple reality that whenever we detach from his love or we detach from the mission that he has given us, when we detach from the mission, we attach to ourselves. It happens all the time. Whenever we detach from the mission, we attach to ourselves. That means that we stop living for God and we start living for ourselves. We make life about us. We lose sight of our greater purpose, and that's how we end up just living saved and not sent. Looking just to our own interests and not the interest of others keeps us out of step with God. And the people known as the church actually have two postures that we can default to. Two positions that we can lean into. One is that we can lean into the position of being part of a movement, something that is advancing, something that it is moving forward, something that is, is stepping into new places for the glory of God. We can be part of a movement or we can be part of a monument. 
We can be part of just seeking to preserve the things that we like, resisting change, just facilitating a monument. We can be part of a movement or a monument. We can also be conquering or we can move towards comfort. We can be a the force that we should be as a conquering reality for the kingdom of God, or we can move towards comfort. We can also be a people who who advance or retreat. We can be a people who risk or protect. There are really two postures that we can take. Jesus calls us to be part of a movement that conquers and advance and risks beyond our recovery, but not beyond his cover. Yet we have a natural proclivity within us as human beings to move towards comfort, to protect, not risk, to really preserve But what Jesus calls us to is much more than that. And yes, there is risk. Yes, there is a cost. Yes, there is a sacrifice. And it does mean that we don't don't get to preserve our comfort, but we get to be part of something much bigger than us. And comfort always seeks to overtake conquering. And too often, those who find new life in Jesus can retreat and can take a batten down the hatches and hunker down and just weather the rest of this life storm until Jesus comes or he calls me home. And once in a while, we can throw Scripture out like a grenade, hoping it's going to change something. But that's not how he calls us to live. The mission propels us. The mission compels us forward, gives us purpose, and calls us to risk. And his Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. Because it's a cause worth dying for. Jesus has already died for it. It is a cause worth dying for. And one of the reasons that the power of God was so at work in the gathering of that first century church in Acts 2 was because they reached a point where Jesus became more important than their comfort. Jesus became more important than their possessions. And they attached to the mission. But whenever we detach from the mission, we attach to ourselves, and that's where comfort starts to rule, and comfort overwhelms conquering. Yet we're supposed to be living sacrifices. We're supposed to be set on fire so that the Lord can draw men to himself through us, through his Son, through his Spirit at work in us. It reminds me of a story. I'd just like to read it to you, and it's a really great metaphor that'll position us to step into the rest of our series. The story goes this way, that an old man lived on a hill that overlooked the ocean. At the bottom of the hill was a public campground where people would come to pitch their tents, hike along the beach, and play in the surf. One day, the old man was looking out at the ocean from his window when he saw a huge tidal wave bearing down on the campground. He knew that the people who occupied the campground below were doomed. He didn't have a phone and had no other way to warn them from where he was. And he knew that if he attempted to run down to the campground, by the time he got there, he would be wiped out too. There was only one thing to do. He grabbed a book of matches, and he set his house on fire. Within minutes, the people in the campground noticed the smoke from the fire and rushed up the hill to save the man. And just as the campers made it to the top, the tidal wave reached the land and completely destroyed the campground and everything in it. But the people were saved. I share that story because it's an excellent metaphor for the situation that we find ourselves in. As a people empowered by the Holy Spirit set on fire so others can find life in Jesus. Jesus has already sacrificed his son so that we can have life. Now he calls us to sacrifice whatever he has given us in time and talent and treasure to be set on fire so that more people can know him. 
maybe for you today, you're someone who is not yet spiritually resolved. You haven't figured this out. You haven't given your life to Jesus. You haven't asked him to forgive you of your sin. You haven't received forgiveness, nor have you received the gift of eternal life, and you're not yet saved or positioned to be sent. So today, the opportunity for you is to have that conversation with Jesus so that you can have life with God, new life in him. But if you're someone who has already done that, then you are positioned, saved, and sent. And the challenge before us is to figure out how is God calling us to step out of our comfort and to build bridges so that more people can know him. We can't do that just by hanging out in our homes or only just gathering here on weekends. Gathering here is important. Worshiping is important. Having people in our homes and investing in key relationships is important. But we also have to, do, we have to go into the mean streets of this world. We have to get out among mean people, hurting people, and shine, set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit, living and loving and relating. And until we care more about others than our own comfort, we're out of step with God. So what? So what do we do? I simply want to challenge us to do one thing. Be the church. My friends, be the church. We don't go to church, we are the church. And this is not open for debate because Jesus has already defined it. It's a people, not a place. A people who no longer live for themselves. Saved, but still here. Saved, but sent. Be the church. The Quad Cities are our cities. The 400 plus thousand people who make up the Quad Cities are our people. And we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people in these cities. Our identity is not about a building, the size of a congregation, or any particular program. It is about how well we love others, how well we love one another. And we are literally the church that the world is waiting for. This world that is living in darkness and brokenness is waiting to see the light for a people who have the Holy Spirit in them to live reflecting Jesus in a manner that they can make this decision and step into new life. And this is not just a Sunday, weekend, Saturday thing. This is a 24-7, 365 reality that we live as a people who have been saved by an almighty risen Lord, empowered by a Holy Spirit that raised that Lord from the dead and now resides in us and positions us to be sent. This is what we're called to do. And we are more together than we are apart. And we're willing to set aside our comfort then God positions us in, in places among people where he can lead them to himself. It takes time. It takes resources. It takes sacrifice. But God is writing a story to bring himself glory. And we get to spend ourselves in a cause worth dying for if we would just be the church. I'd love to just grab your sermon note guide for a moment. Because in the third page, in the bottom section below that open blank notes section, you're going to see an area that looks kind of like this. I'd love for you just to fold that and tear it. Just do your best to just pull that off across that line and rip that off. I want to encourage you to begin praying about how you would finish this statement. I dream of a church. 
when you think about what God is stirring in you, when you think about how he's equipped you and positioned you and what he's calling you to invest in for his glory so more people can know him, what does that look like? To be able to identify what kind of church he's calling you to be. You're part of the church. I dream of a church. How would you complete this? If you, if you know how to answer it, go ahead and write it down. Put it in here, declare it, offer it up as a prayer, and I'd love for you to drop it in the offering bucket as it goes through in a few moments because I'd love the ministry team to rally alongside and to pray that God would build the church into what he wants it to be. And maybe we can capture some of these and share them together. But if you know it, go ahead and declare it. If you don't, begin to pray how you would finish that statement. Because he wants you to be a catalytic component of seeing that happen. When the, when the church was birthed, when, that, when the Holy Spirit was poured on those first 120 followers of Jesus, those believers were empowered to go out on fire to represent Jesus so that more people can step into relationship with him with the message of hope. They, it was the whole gospel, faith and deeds, building bridges. And the deal is, we are that same church. We are the church that the world is waiting to see, to be the hands and feet of Jesus with love and mercy, to build bridges, to get out into the streets of these cities and to allow the Holy Spirit within us to transform lives. We get to be part of that. So be the church. Be the church. This is about a God who sends a son, who sends a people on mission. And those people are more together than we are apart. And we're willing to set aside our comfort for the good of others, the rescue of others, and the glory of God, then God is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine, things we never even thought, as he works, transforming us as an unstoppable force we were intended to be in the first place, a church on fire. My friends, that's who Heritage Church is supposed to be, and that's who God is calling us to be, and it involves your individual decisions that collectively come into the corporate reality. And I cannot wait to see us be the church in these cities and God transform them for his glory. So as we step back into worship through music, let's take a moment to pray as you continue to reflect on the kind of church that God is wanting to see manifest in you and in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that through your son Jesus, we can have hope and life forgiveness. I thank you for sending him. And I thank you that when he completed his task, he sent the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can complete our task. That out of our salvation, we can live as a sent people on fire, on mission, on purpose. And Lord, that's not just when we gather here, it's wherever we go, any interaction, any relationship, any context. Lord, may we be that people. May we be the church. You have given gifts, talents, and abilities to my brothers and sisters, and you've given them to them for a reason. And I pray, Father, you would keep us from being a people who drift towards comfort. We'd be a people who drift towards conquering, a people who advance as part, as part of a movement, who risk beyond recovery but not beyond your cover, so that you are glorified, so that your son Jesus' name is known. He is made famous and hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people would come to a saving knowledge of him. They would experience their own salvation and then in turn be sent into a world that desperately needs the hope of Jesus. So may we be that people. May we dream of a church that pleases you and honors you, and may we be that church in these cities. I pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. 
And everybody said, Amen.